want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We're going to focus on verse 11 to verse 14. So last week we were not able to really go in depth, even though I provided a brief introduction to uh, this series that we are going to start. Uh, we're going to get into it fully today, titled um, If God's People. We're talking about what are the steps necessary for us to experience restoration, revival, and spiritual renewal. And we are using the story of Solomon's dedication of the temple to the Lord as kind of the context to understand how we are to experience revival and a spiritual awakening in our own lives. As I mentioned last week, I want to again say, friends, that revival doesn't start out in the world. It has to start in us. When we look at the world and we look at all the things that are happening in the world and there's much in our world that, get, that would give us reason to be discouraged, give us reason to be fearful, to be anxious, that our response isn't to simply lament all the things that are going on in the world or that's going wrong in the world, but that the right response is to say, God, have mercy. God, bring change to our culture. But God, let that change start in me. We don't just look at others and say they need to change. We need to recognize that we are all in constant need of change. Until the Lord calls us home, we are a work in progress. God is not finished with us. There is a work He desires to do in us, a work of helping us to grow and to mature in our walk with Him. And every time we cry out for God to bring awakening, to bring revival or renewal, we have to say, God, start with me. And can I tell you this? If every one of us was to pray that prayer, we say, God, start with me, revival would break out. No, no doubt, revival would break out. Why? Because we are concerned about making sure that there's nothing in us that would deprive us of experiencing that awakening that God wants to bring about. Paul prayed that prayer constantly. He would always talk about this concern he had that, that he, would, he would labor for the Lord and then he himself would be disqualified in the end. He understood that he wasn't simply called to talk about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and, and what it means to walk in fellowship with God, but that he wanted his life to be a living, breathing witness and a testimony to the reality of this relationship God invites us to. And so again, I say to you that if we want to see revival, if we want to see a spiritual awakening, if we want to see change in our culture uh, toward the things of God, the heart of God, the mind of God, friends, we have to desire that ourselves. And again, it's not to suggest that things are wrong in our lives as much as it is to simply say, God, I need more of you in my life. And you, you know this, Scripture shows us this, that when we cry out to God, when God's people cry out to Him, God always responds. I want to read again from chapter, verse, verse 7, verse 11, excuse me, of chapter, chapter 7. The Scripture tells us that after Solomon had dedicated the temple to the Lord, the Lord appeared to Solomon in the middle of the night. And the Lord said to Solomon, essentially, Solomon, I've heard your prayers. And then the Lord goes on to give instruction to Solomon. Beginning in verse 12, the Lord says, I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. So that if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send a plague among my people, and my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And God says, I will heal their land. So God makes an assurance to you and I in his word that when we come to him with sincerity of heart and we say, God, help me, help me to be all that you desire for me to be. Help me to conform to your image, to conform to your likeness. Help me to be submitted to you, to surrender to you. God promises that he will respond. God will never turn a heart 
that is yielded to him away. There is nothing that you and I can ever do that, we can, that when we turn to God in repentance, that God will say, I will not forgive. God is eager to forgive. God is eager to restore. God is eager to renew. He's eager to revive. Why? Because God did not create us to be separated from him. The scripture says it is not God's will that any perish. Everybody say any. Any perish. That word any covers everybody. You can think of the worst person on the planet, and yet the scripture says that it is not God's will that that individual perish. Now, of course, at the end of the day, it is we who choose whether we follow him or not. God won't force us to follow him. God invites us to follow him. And he, he spells out for us the blessings and the benefits of following him, of trusting in him, of, 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 of yielding to his leadership in our lives. But at the end of the day, it is your decision and it is my decision. But God has assured us in his word that when we yield to him, when we cry out to him, when we call on him, when we submit to him, that he will respond to us. Why? Because his desire is for us to walk in fellowship with him and that nothing would hinder us from pursuing his purpose and plan for our lives. But there's, there's several things that we see in response to Solomon's prayer that I believe are necessary if you and I are to experience that renewal and revival that we seek so desperately for. And the first is, the Lord says to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble, everybody say humble. Humble themselves is what the Lord says. God attaches to his promise a condition. He says, my people must choose to humble themselves. The word humble is a very powerful word. In a lot of ways, we tend to see the word humble in one sense as a word that is admirable, that speaks to something that's admirable. We like people who are humble, who are not arrogant, who are not obnoxious, who are proud, who have a right perspective of themselves and don't see themselves as better than or more important than others. We all respond to people that are humble. We desire to be around people that are humble. But can I tell you this? God is no different. In fact, our response to Him, friends, is such that if we do not recognize Him for who He is, we cannot respond to Him the way we're supposed to. God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. The word humble is important because what the word humble refers to is this idea of not only seeing ourselves as we really are, but seeing more importantly God as He really is. And we're going to look at this in the, in the scriptures in just a moment about the importance of approaching God with a sense of reverence if we are to experience His intervention in our lives. There was a song I heard many years ago by one of my favorite artists, Stephen Curtis Chapman. He's not really in the Christian music scene much anymore, but back in the day, he, he sang a song in which he said, God is God and I am not. And the essence of the song was him reminding his audience that we need to have a right perspective where we learn to see God not as some servant that we call on when we need something from him. God is not some cosmic genie that when we rub our Bibles, that like we rub a lamb, that he just suddenly appears and he says, what do you want, master? No. That we recognize that God is God. He sits on the throne. That we exist for Him and not the other way around. And we must learn to see Him for who He is and respond to Him the way that we want to. It is the enemy that wants us to see God as less than He is. It is the enemy that wants us to see God as less than pure, less than holy, less than righteous, less than trustworthy. After all, that's what He did in the garden. God gave Adam and Eve a specific instruction. He said, you, are to, you, can, you have access to everything in this garden, but there is one thing you cannot touch. You eat of it, you will die. And what Satan said to Eve was, did God really say? And then when she corrects the, 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 the serpent, the serpent says to her, it is, in, in essence, paints in the mind this picture that God is not trustworthy. 
That, that what God is actually doing is He's holding out on you. There's something that you could benefit from, that you, would, would, you, would, you could gain, that He's trying to keep from you. Because again, Satan wanted Eve to question God's character. So throughout history, we see that the enemy's goal is to, in our minds, distort a right view of who God is. Again, if we are to approach God, we must do so with reverence. We must humble ourselves. And that humbling of ourselves involves us seeing Him for who He is. And so, what I wanted to quickly do this morning, and, and I don't have a lot of time, but I want to touch on these three points because they're very important, is, is how, we, how we humble ourselves before God. How do we reverence God as we are supposed to, so that when we are expecting or crying out to Him to intervene in our lives, that we can be confident that He will do so. The first thing we, we discover is this, that to reverence God means that we must acknowledge our shortcomings. Acknowledging our shortcomings doesn't only involve acknowledging the things I've done wrong, but also involves acknowledging that, that God is at a level and a standard that I cannot attain on my own. That no matter how hard I try to live up to God's standards, that I will always fall short. This is what the gospel is all about. This idea that, that there is nothing you and I can do that will ever be good enough if, if, as far as it pertains or concerns our ability to live up to God's standards. There is not enough good that you and I can do on our own that God can say, you know what, that's good enough. No, it will never be. Why? Because we are not perfect. Because we are not, we, 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 we say things we shouldn't say, we do things we shouldn't do. You know, every one of our lives, we, 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 we are, are confronted with, with the consequences of choices that we've made or the choices that other people have made that reminds us that we are flawed. And so when we come to God, we must come to God acknowledging that we are flawed while He is perfect. And, and, and an excellent example of this, of this showing reverence to God, is described in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, where we see the prophet tell us that in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw God. And, and, and so spectacular was this, this image, this experience, this encounter with God that Isaiah had. And the scriptures tell us that Isaiah was beside himself. And I want you to hear what he says in verse 5. Isaiah's response when he saw the spectacle of God and the holiness and righteousness of God, his response was to say this, Woe to me because I am ruined. Some translations say he's used the word doomed. I am in trouble. Why? Because Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. Now, some people have argued, well, did he say that because there was sin in his life? I don't believe that's what he was saying specifically. I don't believe Isaiah felt this way because he was saying, you know, that he's been living in sin and, and suddenly he's in God's presence. And Isaiah was acknowledging that, I, that the perfection of God emphasizes my imperfection. And he shows how flawed, deeply flawed I am. He says, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. Why? Why did he gain this perspective? Because he said, I have seen the king. He said he saw God. And when he saw God in his purity, in his holiness, in his righteousness, Isaiah was like, oh my goodness, I cannot be here. I cannot be around this God. And yet I'm so grateful that, again, God's response to the prophet wasn't to say, you know what, you're right. You should not be here. You cannot be around me. But, but that God would respond to his servant, and the scripture says that an angel took a coal from the, one, of the, one of the altars that was burning, and he, used, and he took that coal and he touched Isaiah's lips. And it was God who declared Isaiah to be clean. When you and I seek God and we're saying, God, 
have mercy on me, have mercy on my culture, have mercy on my world. Forgive us for the things that we are doing, the, 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 the rebellion that we exhibit by the way of our choices and our decisions. What we, what we first need to acknowledge, friends, is this, that, that we, compared to God, there is, no, there is no comparison. And that my ability to experience God's intervention involves me recognizing that I am not Him in any way, form, or fashion. Isaiah said, God, I am a man of unclean lips. And I am a part of a people who, are, who have unclean lips. Why? Because he saw God in his purity and righteousness. Again, we must learn to see God as holy and righteous. And it was important for the Lord to remind Solomon that, that yes, there, there, there have been times in their history, and there will be times in their history where they will, they will rebel against him. Why? Because they forget who God is. And that's really what, what happens when we, when, we, when we live in sin, is we forget God. We forget, we forget that, he, that he is the one to whom we are answerable to that we are accountable to, that it is His holiness that defines how we are to live. And so if we are to experience His intervention, if we are to experience the change and transformation that only He can bring about, friends, it, ha- it starts with, what's, with us acknowledging that we are nowhere, nowhere near who He is. Acknowledge our shortcomings, because it is in, it is in that moment that we allow God to then reveal Himself in our lives. Another step to, to reverencing God is to not only acknowledge our shortcomings, but we need to display what I believe is deep sorrow for sinfulness. That, that when, when, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, that we don't justify or excuse or rationalize. I've said this before. How easy it would be for us to say, well, God, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, well God, I mean, I've not done the things that this person has done. God, I'm not that bad. And we compare ourselves with others. And at no point does God ever, even in bringing judgment, compare us with each other. Because, because you nor I are the standard. He is the standard. And so when God invites you and I to, to come to Him in, in reverence, in humility, it involves us acknowledging sorrow for our own sinfulness. I can't answer for yours, nor can you answer for mine. I stand before God. God's not going to say, well, John, answer for, for Desmond's sins. No, will he say, Desmond, answer for, for Brother Michael's sins. No, God, will, we, we give account for our own choices and decisions. But in experiencing revival, renewal, awakening, we need to acknowledge and have deep sorrow for our sinfulness. This is what David said in Psalm 51, verse 17. And this was when, maybe familiar with this story, maybe you're not. David was king at the time, and the scripture says that when he... When kings normally go out to war, David chose to stay at home. I'm not going to fault him because he's king. He, he can do whatever he wants. And it's not the fact that he stayed home that, that was necessarily an issue as much as that what happened is one day he's walking out on his rooftop and he sees a woman taking a bath. The problem was it was not his wife. And rather than turn his, way, his, his eyes, bounce his eyes away and go somewhere else and give her a privacy, scripture says David stood and he was staring and he went on to, to, to take it further. He inquired about this woman, learned that she was married, had her brought to his house. He slept with her. And then she got pregnant. And David tried to hide the pregnancy. He tried to hide the pregnancy first by hopefully getting her husband to sleep with his wife so that this way it could seem as if he was the one that impregnated his wife. But the scripture says God was not going to let David escape. This husband refused to leave front lines to be with his wife. And eventually David made the decision that he would have the husband killed. And when he had this husband killed, he brought this woman into his house to be his wife. In his mind, he thought he had, he had gotten away with it. And the scripture says, God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David. 
And God made, made it clear to David, he knew what David had done, and David had sinned against him, he had offended God, and the scripture says David was, was sorrowful. He, 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 he was so sorrowful that the scripture begins to describe in Psalm 51, you know, this, this heart that was broken for his sin, and in recognition of, of the fact that, that no matter how hard he had tried to convince himself that he could get away with what he had done, that he in fact could never get away with it because there is God on the throne. And the scripture says that David responded in a sense of remorse. And one of the things he said in verse 17, I want to read to you. He, he writes, and I'm reading from the, the, the um, expanded Bible translation. The sacrifice God wants is a broken spirit. When you hear that phrase broken spirit, it's more than just a person who feels guilt because they've been caught. But a person who feels a deep sense of sorrow, I am wrong. And, and, and this sense of of, of recognizing that you have violated something that is sacred. I mean, we, we all know what it's like on a human level when, when we have broken or violated somebody's trust and how terrible we feel and how many times we want to go back and undo what we've done. We wish we could go back in time and do things different because there is this deep sorrow because we know we have messed up. The scripture says David understood. He recognized I have messed up royally. And not only have I offended God, but I've, I've hurt lives in a very deep way. And the Bible says he was broken. So David here is alluding to the fact that, that what God is looking for is not one who just simply is, is acknowledging guilt because they've been caught. But recognizes that what they have done is an offense against him. He says the sacrifice that God is looking for is a broken spirit. He says God will not reject a heart that is broken and sorry for sin. That's the, that's, that's the assurance you and I have, that when we come to God again, no matter what we've done, we recognize our sinfulness and we say, God, I have offended you. And, and I am truly sorry for creating that offense. We can be confident that God will respond to us. Here's the thing, friends. If we walk in rebellion, if we walk in sin, if we're justifying our, our choices, we're justifying our sinfulness, friends, there is no room for, 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 for intervention. There is no room for God to, to come in and to, and to change our lives, change our hearts. Why? Because we are not ready to be receptive to what He wants to do in our lives. If we want to see renewal, restoration, revival break forth, we have to be deeply sorrowful for our sin. And that involves not making excuses for our sin, not justifying our sin, not suggesting that, well, it is what's happening in our culture, it's what everybody's doing. No, that we have a sense, deep sense of sorrow about our, our, the thing we've done and recognize that if we have offended God and we say, God, have mercy on me. Again, if we are to show reverence to God, showing reverence demonstrates or is demonstrated by a deep sorrow for sinfulness. And here's the last thing. Not only do we acknowledge our shortcomings, not only do we display deep sorrow for sinfulness, but we must renew a commitment to God. It's not enough for us to simply say, God, I've messed up. I shouldn't have done this. But what's important is, is that we avail ourselves of the opportunity because this is God's desire is to, is to, is to, is to bring us, is to, is to take us past that, 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 that moment or that season of rebellion and, and to bring us back to a, a right walk with Him. But friends, if we're to experience that right walk with Him, we have to be committed to Him. We have to be committed to living for Him, serving Him, walking with Him. Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 13 to 14, he says, I bring all my energies to bear on this one thing. He says, I forget the past. He says, I look forward to what lies ahead. 
I strain, Paul says, to reach the end of the race and to receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. Paul is speaking to the importance of making a commitment, a personal commitment, that God not only will I acknowledge my shortcoming, God not only will I uh, walk, ex 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 exhibit a deep sorrow for my sinfulness, thank you very much, but that finally, God, what I will do is renew a commitment to you. A commitment to living for you. A commitment to, to walking with you. And part of that commitment involves turning my, turning my back to a life of sin. Friend, perhaps there's a choice, there's a decision that you're making that is, that is fueling, fueling your, 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 your sinfulness. God is saying you need to walk away from that. One thing I learned when I first gave my heart to Christ was this. To say I follow Christ isn't simply to say that I'm now taking on a new habit of what being religious. But to say that I follow the Lord means that I'm not only walking away from sin, but I'm committing myself fully to Him. Because, because the Bible makes it clear to us, friends, that we will serve a master. Now, who that master is, we decide. But there's no point in our lives, there's no point in our journey where, where we are not serving something or someone. We determine who we will serve. And part of showing reverence to God is to say, God, I am committed to you because I recognize who you are. I recognize you for who you are and for what you seek to do in my life. And I, I desire what you want for me. And so this is why Paul said that, that for him, he, he, looks back, he looks at his past and he recognizes that his past is behind him. It's not something that, it's something that he doesn't hold on to. The things that he's done, that he knows God has forgiven him of. And that he, his focus is on what's in front of him. The call that God has placed on his life. The things that God wants him to do. And he strains to reach the end of that race. In the same way, friends, you and I are running this race. And when, and when we reach the end of our race, whenever that end, that end comes, friends, we want to be able to stand before God and say, God, you were my, were my focus. That I was committed to you, that I was, I was devoted to you, that I, I sought you, I pursued you. That God, when, there was, when, there was, when the Holy Spirit revealed sin in my life, that I did not hold on to it, I did not excuse it, I did not justify it, but God, I said, have mercy on me. I, I, I put it behind me and I kept pursuing you. God's desire is that if you and I are to experience revival, renewal, and a spiritual awakening, that it involves us making a commitment to him to say, God, help me to live for you. And it's a daily decision, it's a daily choice. It's not a one-time thing you do and then you feel like that's enough. Every day we're, we're faced with a choice to, to be committed to Him. Every time we have a, a decision to make, a, a choice to make, whether it be at work, at home, at school, as we are living each day, it is, it is an opportunity for us to walk in that commitment we've made to the Lord. But again, all of it must be predicated on having a right view of who God is. And that begins, friends, by admitting our deficiency and trusting Him to fill us with himself one of my prayers has been and i'll be honest with you i've been watching the news of course i'm one of the i i love watching the news and and there are there are times where in watching the news i get very angry i get very angry i get frustrated um and sometimes i i pray this prayer lord come quickly <laughs> come quickly in fact if you can come today it would be nice <laughs> just because you know, the way the world is going, it's, I think from a human perspective, it almost feels like, it may almost sometimes feel like we're in a losing cause, but, but I don't believe that for one second, why? Because, because the cross, friend, is more powerful than anything this world can ever throw at us. 
And, and when we are reminded every day of how, how much, how, how broken humanity is, I pray that more, what, 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 would, what would be emphasized more in our minds, friends, is this idea that the God we serve is greater than all of the things that are wrong in our world. And that our posture then becomes God. Every one of these choices that's expressed in the lives of people who, who are making these choices, living out the consequences of these choices, God, every one of these people will follow the people you love and you care deeply about. And so rather than get angry, I'm saying, God, help me, that, that rather than get angry or rather than, than point out the things that are wrong in other people's lives, that, that the first thing I do is, God, is there any evidence of the sin in my life? God, the propensity to do things that I should not do, say things I should not say, God, is it in me? Is there, is there a root of, 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 of unbelief? Or is there a root of, of, of rebellion or wickedness in my own heart? God, deal with me if there's anything in me. And can I tell you this? The moment I start to pray that prayer, my prayer then begins to shift for those to where I begin to pray the same for others. Because, again, it would be easy for us to decry all the things that's going on wrong in our world. But I truly believe that the response that God wants us as believers to have is to say, God, have mercy on our world. Have mercy on our world. Every time somebody makes a choice, a decision that, that, that is sinful, all it does is remind us of their need for, for Jesus. And we need to be praying, we need to be fervently praying, friends, that, that God would bring revival. I love how Precious put it during, uh, during the prayer. You know, we, 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 look at, we look at what's going on in, in, in these places and we think about the things that's, that's wrong and it's easy for us to kind of turn the other way and figure, well, it's not, it's, you know, they're not connected to us. You know, our, you know we, 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 they're not, we are not affected by what's happening in those places. But no, friend, God, God wants us to have a burden for those around us. He wants us to be moved by the things we see happening around us. And, and part of being able to be moved Start with us saying, God, search my own heart first and see if there's any wickedness in me. And if there is, God, help me, God, to turn from it and to renew my commitment to you. I want to challenge us today to desire renewal and revival and awakening. Let your prayer be, God, let it start with me. In my home, God, let it start with me. On my job, God, let it start with me. In my school, God, let it start with me. Wherever I go, God, let it start with me. Why? Because, because your desire, God, is that, that, that no one perish. And again, on our way to heaven, I encourage you, seek God, seek God, seek God fervently, passionately. Your, your, your time in the word, take it to another level. Don't just read the word simply for yourself, but begin to ask the Lord to give you a perspective that's, that goes beyond just you and what he seeks to do in your life. When you pray, don't just simply pray for your own needs, but ask the Lord to, to move in the lives of others around you that are lost, that do not know Christ, and begin to pray fervent prayers on their behalf. Why? Because when we experience revival and awakening, our lives are different. Our lives are changed. Why would we not want that for somebody else? Let us be the ones that God is using to stand in the gap for those who are lost and, and desire to see a change, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of others as well. And I would say this, if you're here this morning, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I want you to know this morning that 
And you're not here by accident. God's desire is for you to know Him. And, and I believe that probably that from the moment you walked in these doors, that you felt the presence of God, you felt like this is the place you're supposed to be. Not because of us, not because of me or who stands behind this pulpit, but because God cares about you. God loves you, and God desires for you to know Him. And maybe you, you, you would say, Pastor John, you know, there's things I've done, you know, life I've lived, choices I've made that if I can forgive myself, how can God forgive me? Realize this morning that God, God is able to forgive. But what he's asking you to do is to acknowledge that outside of him, there is nothing you can do to make this right. That you believe that everything that Christ did on the cross was sufficient to pay for your sin. Why? Because it was one who knew no sin, though he was tempted, but never gave in to sin, stood in your place, and he paid the punishment you deserved. And that because he lives, you have the gift of eternal life. Why? Because you put your trust in him. Don't rely on yourself anymore. Don't let it be about trying to live up to a standard that you know you cannot live up to. Trust him today. And allow God to meet you in place upon your need. Believe on his name. Call on him. Confess him. Commit yourself to him. And I believe God's going to change your life in ways that you can never imagine. And this is my prayer for you this morning. I want to invite every head bowed and every eyes closed. As we begin this series, it is my prayer for all of us today that God would give us a heart after Him, a deep sense of reverence for Him, where we grow more aware of who He is, and our awareness of who He is would shape and define our response to Him. So Heavenly Father, I come before your throne this morning, and God, we are grateful for your promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14 that if we, your people who are called by your name, will humble ourselves, will reverence you, Father, will acknowledge you for who you are, and in doing so, God, acknowledge, Lord, that we are flawed, we are broken, we are deficient outside of you, Father. If we will, Father, recognize, Lord, that, that God, in acknowledging our sinfulness, Lord, that we have an opportunity, God, to you to you God to be submitted to you God to surrender fully all to you God so that Lord you can have your way in us Lord and that God will be committed Lord to this process that Lord you bring us on Father that you begin in us Lord of helping us become more and more like you that God will truly experience Lord that revival and renewal that we seek God we are grateful Lord that your desire Lord is that our lives will be the op an open book through which Father others can see and know that when we put our trust in you God that we will not be the same and I pray that God not only today but every single day that God will be committed Lord committed Lord God to seeking you God with every fiber of our being allowing nothing God to get in the way of our walk with you that God, as your Holy Spirit, is bringing revelation to our hearts of areas of our lives where we need to repent. That God would surrender. That God would yield completely and totally to you. And acknowledge you, Father, for who you are. And that God, in doing so, God, that we open the door for you to bring, to bring transformation into our own lives. And that through our lives, God, we can see our culture be changed for the better. And God, for anyone that is here who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I thank you this morning that God, what an opportunity you give us, Lord, to call on your name and to be confident when we do so, God, that, Lord, you will hear us. 
God, no matter what we do, even as Paul says, God, we can forget our past. We can press on forward ahead, Father, to what you have in store for us. God, God, because we put our lives in your hands, God, I pray that for whomever that may be today, that God, they will call on you. And in calling on you, God, that Lord, you will meet them in their place upon a need and give them an assurance today that is born of your promise, Lord. If we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive and you will cleanse us of all unrighteousness, Lord. That God, we can be yielded to you, submitted to you, God, and know that, Lord, in your, life, in your hands, our lives are safe and secure. Again, God, thank you. And God, I pray, God, begin a new work in each of us. Bring revival. Bring an awakening. And through us, Father, change our culture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.